If you would, please open to Jonah chapter 4. If you're not there already, we begin our last main session uh, for the weekend. I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 10, and read our way through chapter 4. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and, so, and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. And made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I? Pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Let me pray as we begin our time tonight. Lord God, as we come to the end of this book where we are humbled by our sin, we are humbled by your greatness and your sovereignty and your mercy. God, speak to us tonight. Lord, strengthen me in my weakness. Lord, I pray I would not get in the way of your message, of your truth, of your word. Lord, I pray that we would see our great need for you. I pray that we would see our sin. I pray that we would see your great grace and your mercy. Lord, speak to us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, again, I'm doing a little throwback old story for some of you, but I, don't, I think it's just going to be a few. Uh, if you don't know much about uh, me and my siblings, I am number two out of four, uh, even though I'm really number one. Uh, I am number two out of the four. And I have an older brother. His name's JD, and he's 18 months old. Actually, his birthday was yesterday. So, yeah, no one cares. I know. I don't even care. Um, and, and then so we're very close. We're 18 months apart. And then there's a six-year gap. And then all of a sudden my little brother came into town. Uh, and his name's Steven. And then he has – and then we have – he has. We have a little sister named Lydia. And they're very close. They're like a year and a half. So really it was like me and my older brother. We were kind of together always. And then my little brother and little sister, they were kind of always together. And me and my brother, J.D., I, we did everything together. And the thing is, though, that we were, we were so different. I mean, completely different. We, we, we always loved each other. We were always so very close. I mean, always. If he's there, I'm there. If I'm there, he's there. Even though we, we were different. I mean, we were salt and pepper. We, we, we were always together, but we were opposite. 
I mean, with everything, our preferences, like if we went to to the uh, to the ice cream truck, I mean, we would never get the same thing, right? I, I would get the the SpongeBob ice cream one, you know, with the eyeballs, and then he would get like the the the, the snow cone taco thing, or, or or if we get the same shirt, you know what I'm talking about? Taco taco. Yeah. Taco taco. Thank you, thank you. The taco taco. Well, I never got it. I never got it. He got it. Okay. That's why, right? Uh, if we got different, sh- like the same shirt, exact same shirt, of course we'd have to get different colors, right? Or or toys. Like I got the Buzz Lightyear and he got the Woody because he's a schmo, right? And so like, <laughs> like this is how it worked. Like growing up, we, we, we'd always uh, uh, would, would be different. And our personalities were just different. I mean, there's just a huge contrast between the two of us. Now, the thing is, most of the time growing up, we always shared a room. And this was a challenge at times. For me, and this is not me bragging, I'm just saying the facts. <laughs> the challenge is that I was very clean and organized, and he was not, to say. And it was always a struggle growing up. And then I remember in high school, I mean, we were sharing this room, and his clothes, okay, clothes are supposed to go in the hamper, if you didn't know that, okay? His clothes, they never made in the hamper. They made it at the foot of his bed. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with this. And the thing is, our beds were on opposite sides of the room. His clothes would slowly start making it to my side of the room, to my bed. That's disgusting. Not on it, but at the foot of it. I get out of bed in the morning. I'm stepping on his nasty laundry. No, 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 no. Okay. Literally, I walk in my room one time. I can't see the floor, right? Like some of you guys, this is your rooms. Cannot see the floor. All I see is dirty laundry. And I said, all right, enough is enough. I went into the garage and I grabbed a rope. I did not kill my brother. Okay. <laughs> I did not kill my brother. Yeah. It would have been his birthday yesterday. It would have been his birthday. Okay. I grabbed a rope, and I said, enough's enough, and I laid it down in the middle of the room, and I taped it in the middle of the room. I said, this is your half, and this is my half, and so sure, and I put all his clothes down on his half, and so now, I mean, he's like six inches deep in laundry, but it's all in his half, and, and you open, you know, the door to our room, and you can see, oh, yeah, these are like two different rooms. Like there's one with like they're just nasty things growing, and then you have a nice room. My God, it's nice. It even got to the point one time he he had a bird. I don't know why he had a bird, um, but he had a bird, and he he didn't. I share this. It, he he would allow me to share this. Okay, I know it sounds like I'm just bashing him. I, I do love him very much, but he thinks this is funny too. Okay, he had a bird, and, and he just just didn't feed it. He just didn't think to feed it. And so it, it, it died. And, and, and this, this dead bird just remained in its cage for, for a long, long time. And I, I don't know how it happened. I don't remember if he was moving the cage or if I was. Somehow the dead bird rolled over to my side of the rope. And so I kicked it back to his side. I don't remember how long it stayed there, but it was a long time. Okay. The point is, that I'm telling you, you look, you open that door, and you see a huge difference between the two of us. I mean, the contrast was was just crazy, right? Like, oh, I, I should have taken a picture, all right? But you see, like, one hot mess, and then you see, like, pristine. <laughs> now, here in this passage, we see such a strong contrast between God and and God's servant between the two. Right off the bat, we can see a strong contrast even on how they both responded to the repentance of Nineveh. When God saw what they did, when God saw the repentance of Nineveh, he relented. He showed mercy. And when Jonah saw what God did, he was exceedingly displeased and angry. We see God showing mercy to sinful people. And we see Jonah throwing a temper tantrum to a holy and perfect God. 
Now, before we start making fun of Jonah, like, oh my goodness, that Jonah, we need to realize, as I hope we have all weekend, that we may be more like Jonah than we like to think that we are. Tonight, as we finish out the book of Jonah, I want us to focus on two main points. The character of God's servant, being Jonah, and the character of the servant's God, being God. And we're going to look at three characteristics of Jonah and his response to God. And then we're going to look at three characteristics of God and his response to Jonah and Nineveh as well. Okay, so first we're looking at the character of God's servant, of Jonah. The first thing we see about the character of God's servant Jonah is a heartless obedience. A heartless obedience. Was Jonah obedient? Yes. Like we saw that this morning. God called him a second time to arise and proclaim God's message to Nineveh. And he did. He obeyed God's command. Jonah goes where he's supposed to go. He says what he's supposed to say. But his heart is far from where it needs to be. He was obedient in proclaiming the words in which God told him to proclaim. And the result? A revival. A city-wide repentance. And most preachers would be rejoicing at the marvelous work from the Lord. But Jonah becomes displeased. Exceedingly displeased and angry. And he reveals that even though outwardly he was obedient, inwardly his heart was far from where it needed to be. It's very easy to serve God and obey him outwardly while doing so with a heart that is not worshiping God. This is really the key to obedience. Worship. Without worship to God, your your obedience is empty. Is your obedience to God done so out of worship to God? There are many Christians who, who love religious patterns, who love outward behavior, who love intellectual conversation, deep doctrine, habitual godly practices. And while all these things can be good, None of it is of any value if it is done without the love for Christ. We push for obedience. We push to do more. We push to to present ourselves as good Christians. We push to be better. And maybe discussion groups, it has that tone. Let's do this better. Let's do that better. But why? Why pursue these things? Let me ask first, do, do you pursue these things? Do you pursue these things? Do you pursue to read your Bible? Do you pursue to pray? Do you pursue to love others? To obey your parents? To evangelize to the lost? To give to the offering? To, to fight your sin? Do, do you pursue these things? I hope you do. But not if it's done without the love of Christ and the worship of Him. Before you start creating steps and procedures and disciplines in your life for outward behavior, I challenge you to examine your hearts and your worship and your love for Christ. Christian, do you love religious patterns and outward behavior more than you love Christ? Do you love to present a, quote, good Christian lifestyle to those around you more than you love Christ? Do you have a heartless obedience or do you have a worshipful obedience? Do you see the difference? Some in this room may need to be challenged on the value you put on your obedience and what you think it accomplishes for you. What I mean is this. Too often people grow up in the church learning how to be obedient. Learning when to say yes and when to say no. Learning what to do and what not to do. And they build this this resume of obedience that to them gives them credit with God. And they grow up thinking, well, I've done the religious patterns. I've, I've done the outward behavior. I've done the habitual godly practices. And my obedience proves I'm a Christian. 
Is this you? Do you judge your standing with God based on your outward obedience to him? The prophet Isaiah would say that your outward obedience is filthy rags to God. In fact, if you are not in Christ, you cannot please God, Romans 8.8. 8. If you are not in Christ, whatever obedience you think you are doing in order to please God and to win favor with him and to establish your relationship with him is nothing except filthy rags. Our standing with God is not based on our works, but only on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Should we pursue obedience? Yes. But let your obedience be an outpour of worship to God because of the great work he has already accomplished on your behalf. Is your obedience worshipful? Secondly, what we see in Jonah is a hypocritical mercy. A hypocritical mercy. And the reason I call it hypocritical mercy is because time and time again, Jonah receives mercy from God, and yet he does not want Nineveh to receive mercy from God. He loves receiving mercy. When God saved him from the depths of the sea, when God sustained him in the belly of the fish, when God protected his life against the hostile Ninevites, when God provided shade for him with the plant, he loves it. Oh, thank God for the mercy. He loves to receive mercy, but he doesn't love giving mercy. Jonah quickly forgot God's mercy in his own life. God was gracious to Jonah. Even though Jonah was disobedient to him, God still spared his life and showed mercy to him. And shortly after, Jonah does not want God to show mercy to these disobedient people. Jonah's fine with receiving mercy from God after being disobedient to him. But these people? No, no, no. Not these people. These people are really disobedient. They shouldn't receive God's mercy. That's a hypocritical heart. That's a self-righteous heart. That's an ungracious heart. It's similar to the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember that story? The unforgiving servant, right? Now, the one servant who he owes his master there's an infinite amount of money. like he, he can't even repay it. And the master says, your debts are forgiven. And he's like, oh, right. Yes, like he's, he's partying. He's going down the streets. Oh, yeah, hallelujah. Like my debts are forgiven. And as he's dancing down the streets, the, the guy bumps into him. He's like, and it was his servant. And his servant bumps into him. And he goes, wait a second. Don't you owe me a couple bucks? Let me strangle you to death and throw you in prison. And the point is, what? You were just forgiven of so much, an infinite amount, and you can't even forgive just a little? Have you received great mercy from God, but you're unwilling to show mercy to others? Maybe you've forgotten the grace and the mercy that you need every day. Maybe you've forgotten the depths of your own sin. Maybe you have forgotten where you are without the grace of God. Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you desire that they would experience the same love and the same grace and the same mercy that you have received? Or do you at times look down upon them in their sin and you wish upon their destruction? Have you ever caught yourself looking at the fall of an unbeliever and saying, good, they got what they deserve. That's good. Serves them right. They finally got what they deserve. That is not the mindset of someone who has soaked in the grace of God. That is not the mindset of someone who has been gripped by the mercy of God. For if it were not for the grace and the mercy of God, you too would be on the same path that leads to destruction. We love when God blesses us, right? We love it. We love that he's given us a place to live, a nice house. We love that he's given us a job to pay the bills and a loving family and good friends and a pretty easy, comfortable life. We love it. Thank you, God. Oh, yeah, and we love that he's given us eternal life and salvation. 
And that he loves us and he shows mercy and grace to us every day. We love that. But do we not wish that same thing upon our enemies? Instead of hoping this for others, instead of hoping that even our enemies would receive the same kind of blessing and love and grace and mercy, do we wish upon their destruction? Or are we not God's enemies when he loved us? Christian, I challenge you to love your enemies by praying and by showing love and mercy and the grace of God upon their lives. Do not seek their downfall, but seek God's mercy upon their life. The same mercy that God has shown to you. Now, if you look at how the story unfolded, or unfolds, it might seem odd that Jonah would still be looking for their judgment, even though they've repented, right? Anyone, anyone kind of question that? Like, what is going on? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under in the shade till he, could, till he should see what would become of the city, right? It's like they already repented. Why is he getting comfortable making some popcorn waiting to see what happens to the city? Didn't they already repent? Why would he wait and see if God would destroy them? Even though they repented, Jonah's still hoping they will receive judgment from God. And it's not completely outlandish to think that Nineveh may still receive consequence for their evil, even in light of their repentance. Right? Genuine repentance does not always mean that all consequences of your sin is removed. There are still consequences. For instance, even though David repented of his sin with Bathsheba, there are still consequences for his sin, such as the death of their child. Yes, the repentance of our sins and, and the forgiveness we receive from God means we will never receive the just penalty of God's wrath that we are due. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, Christian, your sins are forgiven, completely forgiven, and you will not receive a drop of the wrath of God. But God in his love still disciplines his children, not condemns, but lovingly disciplines. And there are still natural consequences of our sins that we must be ready to accept even though we may have already repented of them. But the point here is that Jonah is still holding on to that hope that God would judge these people. He doesn't want God to show grace and mercy to them. He's hoping that despite their repentance, God would still judge them. Let us desire mercy. Let us desire mercy for others. Christian, let us desire the same mercy and love we've experienced from God, that that would also be experienced by others. And the last characteristic we see of God's servant is an angry judgment. Is an angry judgment. First, we see Jonah's angry judgment towards God. Towards God. Jonah is angry at God because of what he did and what he didn't do. God didn't pour his judgment on Nineveh, and God did show his mercy on them. And Jonah is angry at God because he believes his will is better than God's will. That's all about what he wants and what he thinks is best. I mean, look at all the personal pronouns Jonah uses, the I and the me. Let's see, verse 2 and 3. O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He believes his plan is better than God's plan. I mean, this is crazy. Right? Stop and think about it. You have the creature telling the creator that he's wrong. That he himself is right and that God is wrong. Instead of stopping and realizing, well, wait a second. God is always right. 
Maybe I'm the one who's wrong. Nah, that can't be. God's wrong this time. Right? Like he, in his anger, accuses God of injustice and wrong actions. And we do the same thing when we insist on our own way instead of God's. When things don't go according to our plan, and so we get upset at God. We get angry at God. The only difference between us and Jonah is that Jonah is verbalizing out loud what most of us think internally. How many times have your plans not gone according to how you would like? And instead of trusting God's will, your heart and your mind, they are in shambles because things didn't go according to plan. Things did go according to plan. They went exactly according to plan. Just not your plan. And when we do that, we're just like Jonah. We are the creature telling the creator that he's wrong. And as God asked Jonah, so we must ask ourselves, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah's also angry at God, not just because of what he did, but because of who he is, because of his character. I mean, he says that in verse 2, right? He says, for I knew you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. He knows that. Jonah's like, see, I told you, God. That's the whole reason why I went to Tarshish. I knew you're merciful and loving and gracious. That's the whole reason why I didn't come here. And do you get it now, God? That's what I was trying to say in the first place. You see, Jonah knows the character of God. He knows that God is merciful and loving and gracious. And so Jonah is concerned that if he preached to Nineveh, then they would repent and God would be merciful and loving and gracious. And so Jonah is angry at who God is. He's angry at his character. So not only do we see Jonah angry at God, but we also see Jonah's angry judgment towards Nineveh as well. That he hates these people. He doesn't want them to experience the love and the mercy and the grace of God. The entire city, all the people of Nineveh, he has prejudices against them because of who they are. He doesn't want them to receive the love of God. Do you have prejudices in your life? Would you rather certain people not come to know the Lord? Whether it be specific people or a group of people? Are there people in which you are hesitant to share the gospel with because they're not like you? Or because, because you think they are not deserving, as deserving of God's love than you are? Have you forgotten how much grace you need and forgotten how undeserving you are of his love and his grace? And maybe we argue with ourselves and we say, well, they don't deserve God's grace. Deserve God's grace? Is there a bigger oxymoron in the universe? Of course they don't deserve God's grace. You don't deserve God's grace. No one deserves God's grace or wouldn't be grace anymore, right? Salvation in Jesus Christ, receiving the mercy of God, is not about who deserves it and who doesn't. Otherwise, no one would receive salvation because no one deserves it. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Is about receiving his mercy by his grace. Because we do not deserve it. And yet he still gives it to us freely. So let us not have prejudices against others. But understand that the gospel is for all peoples. Even a horrible, wretched sinner such as yourself. And such as myself. So we've seen the character of God's servant, being Jonah. Now we see the character of the servant's God, who is God. We'll look at three characteristics of God, the first being that he's a merciful God. I hope that's something we've seen all weekend, right? Jonah describes the character of who God is in verse 2. And we've already talked about how Jonah doesn't like this aspect of God, at least not towards Nineveh. But let us just pause. I want us to pause for a second. 
and soak in who this incredible, merciful God is. I mean, listen to what he says. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do not just read past that and say, yeah, yeah, that's who God is. Guys, wait and understand, who is this God? Jonah says he is slow to anger. This reveals his patience that as we continue to sin against him and as he would be right and just to be angry at us. Instead, he's slow to anger. Jonah says he's abounding in steadfast love. Again, as the Hebrew word has said that we looked at earlier. And so remember, there's not one word to describe it. So the translators chose the descriptors abounding and steadfast love. I mean, this love is indescribable. We're using words as best we can to describe his love, but we can't even do it. It's unconditional. It's unbreakable. It's abounding. It's steadfast. Jonah says he's relenting from disaster, right? We looked at that this morning, that God is is choosing to withhold the judgment that they deserve and that we deserve. He is gracious, he says. You understand that he's gracious? What does that tell us? That all this, all this character of God, that, that, that we don't deserve it, but it's by his grace. And all of this, I think, show us that God is a merciful God. That in his patience and his love and in his grace, we see his mercy. And so if you are not a Christian, if you're here and you're not a Christian, know that God is a merciful God. That he has been slow to anger with you. Otherwise, you would already be dead. I love it. Someone in the guys' discussion group earlier this weekend said, you know, we kind of joke around like, oh, I said, I'll, I'll get struck by lightning. We kind of joke around, ha, ha. Yeah, you should get struck by lightning. We should all should be struck by lightning day one. But God is slow to anger. You understand, non-Christian. You understand how patient God has been with you? You understand that he has been slow to anger? So by now you should be facing eternal judgment. And yet you're here right now hearing the gospel. He's abounding in steadfast love. You understand, non-Christian. If you're not Christian, know that he has love that never fails. He has love that never ends. Love that is perfect and he's unchanging. You understand he is relenting from disaster. If you are not a Christian, you have the greatest disaster waiting for you. The eternal wrath of God. But God is willing and he is able to withhold that from you. Because he is merciful. And he is a gracious God. Meaning you cannot earn what I just described. But he gives it to you freely. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, I say to you that by his grace, place your faith in him, repent of your sins, and be saved. Next, what we see about the servant's God is that he is a sovereign God. Which I think we've seen all weekend as well, right? Really throughout this entire book, we see the sovereignty of God, I think, in full display. We see how God is in control always. Even when Jonah tries to distort God's plan, God said, nope, you're going to Nineveh. But even just in this chapter alone, look how many times it says God appointed. Did you catch that pattern? God appointed, God appointed. Verse 6, God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Verse 7, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. Verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. God is the one who appoints all of this. God provided the plant. And from the same hand, God also appointed the worm and the scorching east wind. See, this is the same God who hurled the wind to cause the storm. In fact, it's the same God that says in 117, who appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God appointed all of this. And at times he had appointed these things to save Jonah. And at times he appointed these things to refine Jonah, all within God's perfect sovereign hand. And so it is in our life. God appoints all things. 
And some of it is to save us. And some of it is to refine us. But all of it is good and it is perfect. And all of it is from God's sovereign hand. And the question is, how will you respond to the sovereignty of God? Will you accept it at all times, even when it doesn't go according to your plan? Or will you reject it when it does not line up with your plans? In this chapter, we see that Jonah rejects the sovereignty of God. And in his rejection, he becomes exceedingly angry. And in his anger, he becomes depressed. Even to the point of wanting to die. That's real, guys. After God took away the plant and God appointed the hot wind to come through, look at what Jonah asked God. Look at what he asked here. He says, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God responded by asking, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And the correct response is, no, you're right. You're right. I don't do well to be angry at the plant. I mean, that's an easy one. That's a softball question, right? Like, should you be angry at the plant, Jonah? No, you're right. But instead, Jonah says, yeah, yes, I do. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. He has rejected the sovereignty of God. He's become now angry at God, so much so that he would rather die. And it seems ridiculous. But Christian, the same thing can happen to us. It's really not ridiculous. When things do not go how we desire, when things do not go according to our will, we may find ourselves angry at the will of God, even angry at God himself. And it may start with being upset. And then it may lead to isolation, to closing off of others. It may lead to depression. And we may continue down this downward spiral. And for some, it may even lead to wanting to die. And while these are real feelings, and I don't want to minimize that feeling of wanting to die, it's very delicate. I say to all of us that we must trust in the perfect sovereignty of God. And I'll say this, that if you ever feel like Jonah... And if you ever feel it's better for you to die, please talk to someone, to me, to a staffer, to someone. No matter how ridiculous you may feel, no matter how ridiculous it may seem, it is not ridiculous. It may seem ridiculous that Jonah would rather die. It's not. We must not dismiss it. And we will not dismiss you. We will love you. And we will show you the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Christian, do you trust in the sovereignty of God? Do you love the sovereignty of God? Always. Do you only love God's sovereignty in the sunny days? Or do you love and can you trust God's sovereignty in the rainy days? You see, Jonah loved God's sovereignty When it provided him a plant for shade. Sure. That made him, it says, exceedingly happy. However, when God's sovereignty meant that a worm would eat the plant, Jonah became angry. Angry enough to die. We must love and trust in the sovereignty of God. Always. And the last thing that we see about God is that he's a teaching God. He's a teaching God. Through God's merciful, sovereign hand, God is also teaching Jonah through this whole experience. Jonah is a prophet of God, and yet he still has much to learn, as we all do. We never reach a point of no longer needing to learn. Be a student. Be a student of his word and be a student of what it is he's seeking to teach you. If you're not learning, then you're just not listening. Through our sin... Through the providences of God, through the hearing, the reading of God's word, through the counsel of others, we should always be learning. 
What have you been learning recently? Well, I learned long division. That's what I'm talking about. You've been learning about God. Nothing? Then you're just not paying attention. God is a teaching God. And here we see God teaching Jonah. And here God uses this plant in which he sovereignly rose and he sovereignly destroyed to teach Jonah a lesson about himself. I love this. God argues from the lesser to the greater. He compares the plant to the people of Nineveh. Jonah has no relationship with this plant. Jonah had nothing to do with this plant's growth. Jonah doesn't have sentimental history with this plant. He just met this plant. It's literally just a plant that God rose up to give Jonah shade for one day. And yet Jonah seems to care so deeply about this plant. He shows more care for this plant than the people of Nineveh. God is asking Jonah, look, if you believe you have the right to be upset and care for this plant in which you had no work or heart in the matter, in which you only had for one day, then how much more should I, God, care for the people of Nineveh? Look at that. Let's read verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came to being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Wow. Why is Jonah so incredibly concerned for a plant and not at all concerned for these people? Do you see what God is revealing in the heart of Jonah? He is presenting a test of priorities for Jonah. And he's doing the same for us. Jonah is more concerned about the plant than he is of Nineveh. We need to ask ourselves, is there anything in our lives that we are more concerned about than the hearts of unbelievers coming to know Christ? If I'm being honest... That question really stopped me in my tracks as I was studying this. I mean, I, I, I pushed away the keyboard and I had to stop. And I had to think. And I started thinking of my own priorities. And I started thinking about my own concerns. What are, your, what are you most concerned about in life? What are you most concerned about in life? Are you more concerned about the the amount of fun that you can have? Are you more concerned about the reputation you have amongst your friends? Are you more concerned about your school report card? Are you more concerned about getting into a good college, about having a good boyfriend or girlfriend or having more money? Are you more concerned about your comfort, about your plans, about your time than you are of the hearts of the unbelieving world? I think if we're honest, when we begin to ask ourselves that question, the question quickly turns to not are there things, but how many things? And what are those things? People, even Christians, can become more passionate about sports teams losing or vacation plans getting canceled or or your cell phone falling and cracking. we, We become more passionate about losing irrelevant, superficial things in life than we do about the souls of the lost. Imagine if we took the passions that we have for the pleasures of this world and we had the same kind of passion for the lost. I think the church would look very different. Are your concerns misplaced? Are your passions misplaced? There are billions of people who face a Christless eternity. Do you understand that? If you're a Christian, you do not face a Christless eternity. Praise God. There are billions of people who do. And we are more concerned about what people think about us 
We're more concerned about our weekend plans not going perfectly. We're more concerned about the latest social media posts. We're more concerned about these things than the lost. Than someone not knowing Jesus Christ for all of eternity. I think we may be more like Jonah than we like to think we are. It's revealed to me that I am. God gives us a clear command to proclaim his word. Do you respond as Jonah responded? Are you angry at God that he would give you such a burdensome command that that is to proclaim his word? If God is concerned for the lost, ought you be concerned as well? Or are your concerns more important than his? Are you more concerned about the plant than you are the lost souls? That's what he's getting at. That's what he's saying. Should I not pity Nineveh? You pity the plant. Do you pity the plant and not pity Nineveh? Now we get to the end of the book, and it seems incomplete. God asks this question, that's it. And a lot of people ask the question, well, what was Jonah's response? They want to know what happens next. You're asking the wrong question. The question isn't what was Jonah's response. The question is, what is your response? What is your response? You are Jonah. I am Jonah. How will we respond? Are you concerned for the lost? Will you arise? question is how will you respond as we close out this book of Jonah in this chapter we see a strong contrast between God's servant and the servant's God yes Jonah is sinful he's a prophet of God but he still sins he's still learning and it's easy to look down upon the prophet and say wow what is his problem His problem is the same problem as you and I, that we have indwelling sin, and we seek to fight it every day. Do not become prideful, but instead look to see what God may be trying to teach you through his prophet Jonah. While we see that Jonah is a sinful servant, we also see that God is a gracious God and a merciful God. That God continues to be merciful. God continues to be sovereign. And God continues to teach his people. If you are not a Christian, if you are here, I know there there are some in here who are not, I ask that you would listen just to this little bit more. If you are not a Christian, know that you are sinful too. You are not his servant, but you are his creation. And you are held accountable for your actions. You are sinful. And you need saving from your sins. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And he's the only Savior. And he is the sufficient Savior. Because of his perfect life. Because of his death in our place. Because of his victorious resurrection. We have salvation through him. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins? You may have other priorities in life. Like Jonah and the plant. Maybe you are concerned with with the various things of this world. But I promise you, there is no greater priority than your relationship with God and being made right with Him. If there is anything... Non-Christian, if there's anything that you can leave with this weekend, it's not that you need to live a better life or that you need to do this better or you need to stop doing that. It's none of that. It's this, that you are a sinful person in need of a Savior. But God is a merciful God and His mercy extends to God-hating people. And His mercy extends to you. Will you receive the mercy of God? Will you bow the knee to Jesus and to submit to him 
as Lord, as Savior, as King. And if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, know that like Jonah, you are a sinful servant too. I am a sinful servant too. And know that God is gracious. He's a gracious God even still to you. And you will never outgrow the grace of God. You will never not be in need of the grace of God. Know that God is gracious. In His grace, you receive His mercy. And in His grace, He is completely sovereign over your life. And in His grace, He continues to teach you. What has He taught you this weekend? Christian, what has He taught you this weekend? If anything... I hope you have seen the character of God. I hope you have seen who He is and you worship Him. I hope you have seen how God is completely sovereign over all things. I hope you have seen the rich and the deep mercy of God. I hope you have seen God's care and His concern for the lost. I hope you have seen God's patience and His grace towards His people. I hope in seeing the character of God, you are moved and you are motivated to live for him. To follow his commands. To worship him in all things. And to praise his name always. In all circumstances. God is really the main character of this book, right? When you think back on the book of Jonah, remember who God is. Remember what he has done and give him all glory and praise due his name. Let's pray. Lord God, you are deserving of all glory and praise. God, I pray you would give us your heart, your heart and your concern for the lost. God, if there are distractions, if there are idols, or if there are priorities, in our lives that are higher priorities than yours, God, I pray you would tear those down. Lord, I pray we would be merciful and gracious and loving, compassionate to the world around us, that we would seek to live and worship to you. God, for those in here who do not know you, I pray, God, you would open their eyes. Lord, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing anyone can do to save them except you. And God, I pray that you would. Call your people to yourself. Lord, I pray you would continue to bless the time that we have together. That would be fruitful discussion and fellowship and worship with one another. That you would continue to grant us safety and health. Lord, most of all, that we would glorify you in all that we say and do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.